0: Uh, There were several of us who had always said that we would elect a black man before we would elect a woman. It drives wives wicked. It makes such a golden brown pie. It must be lots of fun to be a mother. I've got something to apologize for. I wore my good suit because it was plain and neat. Afraid of not knowing what is proper? This yellow...
1: Hi, I'm Susan Osman, and this is Been There, Done That, a show about women who are shaping our world. They're not just striving, but thriving. Experienced, smart women who are redefining what it means to be a woman in the workplace.
0: You know I can't work without a good breakfast. All
1: right, class, stop typing, please.
0: All right, class, stop
1: typing, please. This week, I talked to one of these women, Anne Davlin, who has been a chief strategy officer, policymaker, involved with entrepreneurial climate startups, as well as former advisor to Hillary Clinton and Al Gore. And she joins me now. Hi, Anne. Hello, Susan. Very nice to have you on the show. Now, when you were a little girl, what did you dream of becoming?
0: Um, I wanted to run an art gallery, um, but I also wanted to work at the Art Institute in Chicago. Um, I was so uh, caught up in that whole notion that I actually went to a college that had an internship at the Prado because I thought that was a good place to start. Who
1: was your mentor? Who did you look up to and who guided you on your career path? It's
0: so funny. Um, so there's definitely two people. I had a professor in college named Franz Schultz, who really encouraged me. Um, He was a biographer for Mies van der Rohe, and he did some work for Philip Johnson as well. Uh, Years later, I actually met the woman who did the photography for all of his books. And so Franz was probably my first uh, mentor, and he's the one who actually convinced me that um, my, my heart and my head were actually in different places. And um, I had always worked in politics, uh, even from a young age, you know, campaigning, going door to door for our local candidates. And so I would say my mentor after that uh, was a guy named Michael Hooley, who I met on my first presidential campaign.
1: So it was your heart saying politics and your head art, or the other way around?
0: My, my heart was saying that I loved the arts and I loved creativity and being around creative people. My, my head was saying that I have a, a different mindset I'm, uh, and uh, very focused on, at that time, particularly trying to do good in the world.
1: Who taught you to want to do good in the world?
0: I imagine it came from my mother. She was always volunteering her time and she was always like very creative about, uh, we grew up in a small town in Louisiana, bringing like arts into the schools. And uh, so she, she always was working on something and it, it probably came from her. So
1: you, you always wanted to go into
0: politics? Yes. I mean, from a very young age, I've always been involved in, yeah, I mean, school elections uh, for our, um, absolutely always for, I'm sort of going through it in my head for, we had city council elections I got involved in, congressional. Um, I actually almost flunked out of college because I was working full time on the Dukakis campaign. Oh, really? Um, You know, cut to the end, we lost. (laughs) <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I, I always had that, uh, that bug. So you, you've
1: seen a few, a few politicians in your time. Who, who do you admire the most?
0: So, so it's a complicated question because it's definitely something that changes over time. Um, I had the utmost respect for John McCain, uh, and when he ran against, uh, Uh, George W. Bush for president, Uh, he was very much my candidate, even though I'm a partisan Democrat. Um, I lost a little bit of faith in him in a while, and then uh, I had it again. Um, Tip O'Neill, actually uh, um, Rosa DeLauro, um, she went from Emily's List to, she actually coincidentally is my congresswoman now. There's a lot, um, and it isn't just the elected members. I mean, there are incredible people behind the scenes. Uh, a woman named Amy Pritchard, whose you know day job is uh, doing mail, direct mail, but is having a huge impact in in Rwanda right now. So it, it kind of runs the gamut.
1: And you yourself weren't tempted to go into politics, you know, directly.
0: Well, you know, I um, I, I'm I'm <laughs> a lot of hesitation in my voice there. Uh, there is there are a lot of uh, people who have said, you know, you you should be an elected official. You would, and I, you know, I I could you could say I toy with it, but I, I really am stronger behind the scenes.
1: Um, how do you think women are doing right now in
0: politics compared to the men? For me I think the women are actually doing an incredible job and there's been such perseverance. I mean, you look at someone like Senator uh, Kirsten Gillibrand from New York and during the height of the Bush administration, she'd organized a group where bipartisan women would get together every week and do whatever. They might go um, they might go bowling, they might just go drink, you know, go out and have cocktails and that just created so a lot of what you actually saw get done in that time fe- period was because of this group that uh, Kirsten or Senator Gillibrand and and the and others uh, pulled together.
1: Do Do you think Anne, that for women to survive in politics that they no longer need to behave like men?
0: Oh, definitely. I think it's very, very. I think it's a very, very different animal. Um, women can be women because women because there are enough women who now are voting their conscience when they go in the the booth they're voting for who they want and i they see the if women are acting insincere they see that so i actually think not only do you not need to be like a man but you actually should be yourself you should be a woman so do you think gender identity is no longer a political
1: issue or do you think it it still is there kind of rummaging around in the entrails of ambition
0: gender is always going to be and and it's always going to be something that's on the table there's always going to be people who are going to think more positively or are more negatively about someone and it's not a it's not something that's going to go away so do you think we still are
1: in a patriarchal society and that in 2022 we still have a long ways to go to be treated equally
0: yes I do. In addition to the, um, in addition to the pay inequality, uh, I actually think COVID has put us back in in many ways, because you know women have taken on the majority of the, of the of the schoolwork with their kids and you know of the house cleaning and I think it's it's really clarified uh, the the gender roles in in some way, but in like I'm not saying that that the guys aren't kick, aren't kicking in and being helpful, but I think in many ways it's kind of held us back because I was just actually hearing today that a million women are going to permanently leave the job force now Good to be full time. I, I know it's it's crazy. That's huge. It's huge. And is that you? That's because of COVID that the women are kind of feeling they have to go back into the home or what? You know, I always think about it in terms of Sandra Day O'Connor. And she was remarkable, right? She was a US Supreme Court justice. She raised her kids, then she well, she went to law school. That's where she met her husband. She went to you know, raise the kids, then she really started her legal career. And, you know, to to end your legal career by becoming a Supreme Court justice, is just remarkable to me.
1: You've had some pretty high-profile, serious jobs over the years. Have you yourself experienced prejudice?
0: The short answer is yes. But I remember there was a time uh, during the Clinton administration when there was a a group of us. We were were all part of a group called WIN, the Women's Information Network. And WIN was a group of women because when we moved to D.C. after the Dukakis campaign when we lost. Um, it seemed like the, the guys got jobs right away, but the women didn't. It was this interesting, uh, dichotomy. And so we formed a group. It started as a, um, as a pizza group and that just having pizza and hanging out. And it turned into something, um, so much more. And I, I would go to meetings. I, the time I was working in the Pentagon and I would be the, I would be representing my office and it would be myself and like, you know, some men in uniform and some civilians. And I realized they were waiting for the meeting to start because they were waiting for the person in charge. And so, and I found that that happened to my friends across the agencies. So we actually got to a a point where we we would sort of support each other and you'd also prepare yourself saying going into the meeting you know it's supposed to start at 1300 we're gonna i'm gonna start at 1300 and just try to move things forward
1: You were former advisor to Hillary Clinton, who's probably the most famous woman on earth apart from the British Queen Elizabeth. Um, <laughs> what was she like, and can you tell us
0: any anecdotes
1: about your time working with her?
0: So, I I worked for Hillary on two different occasions. Um, the first one was when she was just having named uh, first lady and my first job in the administration was i was in her office of correspondence so my job was to turn down events for her which was a an awful job because if i could talk to anybody in any of the agencies but it meant that hillary was invited and they couldn't and they had to go in her place so i was like my joke was i was the only person in the white house who could not get her phone call returned um what i would say what i would say about hillary is what what always struck me the most about her is she absolutely when you're in her when you're in, in her eye range when, when you, she is completely focused on you and and what the situation is and the things that she has in her mind uh the the knowledge that she has is just remarkable um, i didn't interact with her much during that time but when she was writing, when she was running for the Senate, I helped draft her, uh, her environment and basically environment and energy platform. And again, it was the the same situation where we would get together, we would have, you know, very intense conversations and, and she would really sort of make everything we were doing stronger, uh, in terms of, any of the, I'm sort of racking my head right now. There are really no stories that I feel comfortable telling. Um, I don't have any, um, you know, everything was so, um, uh, so personal. Um, when my, uh, I guess one example would be um, when my, uh, my mother was sick with cancer, she was very kind about checking in with me and whether it was a phone call or a note, um, as was actually um, as was P- president Clinton. and um, and and when she died, um she she called me, which was very kind of her. I guess the last is uh, a couple of us did her first fundraiser uh, in New York when she was running for president. And uh, uh, page six of the New York Post came after us pretty hard. And um, she was remarkable. Uh, and, uh, and and just really very appreciative of what the situation was for us because a lot of us weren't really page six people.
1: <laughs> I don't know if you can answer this, Anne, but do you think for Americans Hillary's biggest drawback was that she was a, a woman?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, there were several of us who had always said that we would, um, and this was way before Obama, that we would elect a black man before we would elect a woman. And I do think during the, the, the last campaign, the 2016, we felt like, okay, well, you know, we've had the black man. So, you know, now we can have a woman, but yes, I do. I do actually believe that I I sound very sort of, I don't want to sound flippant, but I, I do think that it is our, it is a bit of our mindset.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately. The other thing I wanted to ask you, which is aligned with your passion for the environment, because you were also a former advisor to Al Gore, who, as we know, made the inconvenient truth and stands shoulder to shoulder with the whole issue about climate change. I just wanted to ask you, it's a slightly offbeat question. I don't know how you're going to react to the question, but do you think, okay, Hillary Clinton was a woman, or is a woman, and so America wasn't ready for a woman, Al Gore didn't want to talk about President, former President Clinton because of, of, of Monica Lewinsky, and Hillary didn't want to talk about Monica Lewinsky either, so that it was actually a woman who actually distracted both Hillary Clinton and Al, Al Gore, who, of course, we know, you know, missed the presidency by a mere sliver, was actually brought down by a woman. Which is an irony.
0: I, I don't know what you think about. It's just something I've been thinking about. For me, I think that uh, Al recovered from that. I think early on he chose not to run with Clinton, and I think in the end he did choose to run with him. I think there were other factors that uh, that were holding him back more than the, the you know his morality clause, if you will. Right. And I think in the end, also, I mean, he did what I thought was the honorable thing, um, in in his approach to, uh, to to Florida. Of course, in the end, he actually did win all the he did win the votes, but he didn't want to hold off on the determination for a period of time. Um, I do think, though, to your point that. The whole, the way that we handle the Monica Lewinsky scandal as a country, as the world, um, is unfortunate that we put all that pressure on a 22 year old woman and not the president of the United States. So I I do actually take issue with that as a larger issue, but not, I I don't blame that for uh, uh, Al not winning the, the White House. In terms of taking advice
1: from you as a woman, did Hillary take it eat more easily than Al, being a man, or didn't it make, or did it your gender not matter to them?
0: Yeah, I don't think gender was an issue for either of them. I mean, early on, Al Gore had some of the fiercest women around him: Marla Romash, Car- Carol Browner, uh, Katie McGinty, um, actually Beth, who's still with him, Beth pritchard Gear. So, I mean, Al works well with strong women, uh, and uh, and Hillary obviously certainly does.
1: What an amazing uh, experience you've had, you know. To in, in term, I mean, you said you you're more suited to be in in the background, but I mean, you've
0: advised some amazing people. I was going to say exactly that. It's been it's been a real privilege.
1: And I I know your passion is the environment. Tell us a a little bit about where that started and and where you hope to go with it. Because I know you really care about the climate.
0: I mean, I I think it started where a lot of us start. Like I was a big skier. And when I was a kid, uh, I still am actually, you know, and, and we would have a bad winter. And it was because of, you know, we didn't have enough, you know, we didn't have enough rainfall or, you know, some of the, so the so some of the issues. Also, I grew up with cousins who were very, very outdoorsy and very uh, focused on it. Uh, my cousin Gary lived in a an area that was run 100% by wind for a period of his life and went on to go into organic yogurt and had one of the largest uh, yogurt companies in the country. I think it's just always been in my ethos. Although having said that, I really part part of it was the luck of the draw. When I moved to DC, I ran into a person who I'd known um, from the from the caucus campaign, and Al Gore was hiring a legislative assistant uh, to do um, a climate policy. Well, he was putting on a, a environmental conference, and so it seemed to be the perfect mix for me of international relations, which was where I thought I'd go after I'd given up on on art and and climate. So I just got very, very lucky. And that really launched me. How different
1: it would have been if uh, history might have been so different if he'd actually become president of the United States.
0: I think about that more than I should. So
1: uh, what would you say, Anne, to women who might be considering on embarking on a political career now? What What advice would you give them?
0: Well, first of all, please, yes, do it now um i guess uh, a couple things are really just focus on a platform that you really believe in cuz if you're in your you know you're part of your community you know what matters to the community so focus on your pl- on a local platform um hire, <laughs> hire good people that you trust. And there are amazing networks now, uh, to help women, uh, be candidates, you know, find, find finance directors and chiefs of staff and campaign managers, you know, take advantage of all the, you know, when, when we were starting out, it was really just Emily's list. Now there are a dozen organizations. I just got an email yesterday, you know, saying, do you want to run for office? Do you know, someone else who wants to. Interesting. For me, I feel like it's a, it's a wonderful time um, for women uh, to, to run for office, at, at really at, at all levels of government, you know, city council on up through, through the Senate.
1: Anne, uh, what does the future look like for you? I know you're involved in the 21st annual Wall Street Green Summit. Do you think in the next decade or so you might circle back and go return to your art? Or do you think you're going to push on with politics?
0: Oh, I think I'm definitely gonna focus on environment, energy, uh, a zero. You know, I want us to get to a carbon zero future. Uh, you know, get a. I feel like that's the that that's really where my uh, expertise and and passion lie. Now, you know, we're we're so close to implementing you know you know at the local level like solar and wind and you know at the national level looking more at like energy storage and and i feel like we're so close to getting to that goal that i i, I wouldn't i wouldn't want to do anything else
1: and i know that the company you're working with at the moment dynamex uh issued uh, i think it was a map recently of the baddies on earth who are who are emitting the, the worst carbon emissions. Uh, I, I, is that the
0: sort of thing you're going to be doing in the future, do you think? Well, so we actually tend to look at it from the other side at, at Dynamics. What we look at is what is the goal of the utility? That if a utility wants to be net zero, how can we work with them to achieve a net zero? If a city is interested in the same solution, if a corporation decides that you know, we want to lower our carbon footprint by X percent. I mean, our goal really is to is to work with them, show them by individual address what their carbon footprint is currently, and then model solutions, and then tie it also to the most important thing, which is job creation, and and actually, and and uh, and saving people money. You know, these this the. This year, particularly, everyone's seeing their olive. There, I mean, from the price you pay at the pump uh, to your home, you know, your home heating bills. Like, we need to, we need to really solve for that. And so, that's really where my focus and, and passion is.
1: You seem pretty optimistic about women in politics. How optimistic are you about us and climate warming?
0: Oh. Um I am I'm cautiously optimistic. I think for the first time in a long time we we see a path to to get to 1.5 degrees which is where we need to get to if not reverse certainly stop the Uh, the majority of the negative effects of climate change right now. And I'm cautiously optimistic that we'll get there. Um, Mostly not because of my generation, but, you know, the younger, the younger generations who really understand it and are willing to live, you know, they don't, they don't, they're willing to live a simpler life. They don't need cars. Like they're much more Careful the way they eat. There's a whole. They're they're just moving us in in the right direction. So I just part of the you know part of the part of the team.
1: Well, you're a wonderful role model for the younger generation. What would you say to younger women listening to you today?
0: Um, so I mean, i I you know, I'm like a lot of people. I feel like the younger generation has it figured out, and we should learn from them. But I guess what I would say is really just continue to be true to your your passion and to your approach and yeah, and call me if I can be helpful.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Dune, thank you so much for talking with me.
0: Oh gosh, thank you. This has been so much fun, Susan.
1: Thank you for listening to Being There, Done That with me, Susan Osman. Visit us on btdtshow.com for more interviews with dynamic women. And I'd love to hear from you as well. So please leave us a review and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: These are words of respect.
1: How can you tell when you're really in love? And look how flaky it is.
0: The girls weigh each portion of food they select.
1: The Been There, Done That show is brought to you by Dan Hall at Pup Media Consultancy.
0: We can still have a lot of fun, can't we? Your
1: manners are showing.
0: I'm the princess. Mabel loves cooking and does it well. Overweight makes an individual undesirable. Lovely stockings. And you think that's all that matters?